Hello, and welcome back to All Good in the Brotherhood podcast. I am Brother Francisco, and joining me from long distance for the first time is my great and wonderful brother co-host, Nate Whitaker. Nate, how is Callie, my dude? What's good, bro? Uh, Callie is excellent right now, dude. Most bodacious. We have some very nice weather right now. Uh, it, was, it was a little bit chilly earlier on in the semester, but... It's already gotten warm. We've had a, a little bit of heat waves, so now it's starting to feel already like summertime, or a little bit more like summertime. Um, the, the winters here are just so quick um, <laughs> compared to you have winter for a week. Yeah, you know, a good, a good solid week of some some rain and, and a little bit of a cold, cold nights, and then after that, it's back to the back to the warmth and the beach times. A week um, we'll ago, be there soon, but a week ahead, ago here, saying. a week ago here was eight degrees. Yeah, dude, yeah, no. See, that, that, uh, yeah. No, no comparison. Uh, not jealous to be back uh, in Pennsylvania. But, uh, but yeah, no, life is good here, bro. The, the semester's going really well. I'm just kind of chilling with, with friends lately. Uh, it's, been, it's been very low-key, actually. I, I was sick this week for part of this week, so that was mm-hmm. a little bit annoying. But, uh, you know, it, it just, just comes with this time of year. Everybody has it. Yeah, yeah, change of pressure and everything. I'm glad you're vibing, and this is a good semester. I'm, I mean, it's your last semester, dude. I can't believe it. I know, bro. It's surreal. Um, in some ways, it feels reminiscent of some, just some moments uh, catch me off guard, and they feel reminiscent of moments in freshman year. And mm-hmm. it's just crazy to look back and realize how long ago that was and how much has changed since then. Yeah, you were a but freaking how's your child. Going? Um, I was. Yeah, actually, Dad showed me pictures of like the day before you left for your freshman year and i know both you and i like it's like quite different looking it's kind of weird um absolutely yeah, yeah. You, you you've gotten Folks you've gotten a lot a of bit. beef since then so well um, hold on that's like the good yeah. beef not not like chunky beef like like solid you know anyways sinewy um well, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to cut soon i'm ready i'm ready to cut soon it's, it's about cutting season or okay. cutting season's about to start you know you, you know <laughs> you got to divide the the year into the two main seasons of bulk and cut yep and uh winter time's obviously the time for the bulk but i think the cutting is coming soon good deal but, yeah my semester is going great um I'm, it's actually also like academically a bit chiller in ways i have not nearly as many papers as i did last semester which is great I do have probably yeah. the most intellectually challenging, not necessarily like work challenging, but it's like heady class I probably will have in all of seminary. Uh, it's yeah. Christology. And oh, I mean, that yeah. would be, you know, just in general. I mean, most people would say that that's probably a hard class. But my professor um, is this guy named Father Christian Kappas, who has actually been on Pines with Aquinas talking about Mariology because he's one of like the top leading experts of Mariology in the world, I think. Dude, um, that's so sick. But yeah, he's teaching my Christology class, and it's a two and a half hour class though, once a week, in the afternoons. That's brutal. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and this last Wait, week, just once a week, you said? Yeah, it's once a week, but it's from one to three thirty. And this last week, the heat vent like broke or something, so it was blasting ninety no. degree air the entire time, and I Sounds was like a nap. It it was. It's like a nap waiting to it was a struggle bus except for the fact that if you stop for one second taking notes you'd be screwed i had like nine oh, pages yeah. of single space notes typed for Bro, that he, class yeah. oh my god he popped dude we're doing some off. christology this semester too a little bit oh little sick bit. okay like well we're gonna have to look at some comparative notes on that and dive into yeah some of well these I, ideas. I haven't taken uh dozens of pages of notes the way you have uh, actually i haven't taken any at all 
Honestly, well, that might be a little bit. That might be a little bit unfair, but. Uh, well, I mean, that, I'm also studying to be a priest, so you know we should. That's true. Oh, priest of Jesus Christ. So we, <laughs> I should have lots of notes on on him, since you know I'm supposed to be configured to to him. Um, so base. Anyways, You're absolutely right. Though. Yeah. So sweet. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, things are going good for you. They're going well here. We did have a nice weather day actually on Thursday. It was uh 60 right. something, so I did go on a run. Um, it was the fastest yeah. run I've had in a long time, and I was I felt pretty jolly and pretty great about it. So. That is sick. Yeah. Wait, what was the, what I, was the distance and, and time? I ran. Uh, it was three miles, and I did it at. Uh, it was like twenty, about twenty-one minutes exactly. Um, Good. So Good yeah, I mean, I haven't run a seven-minute mile straight in a little bit because of the cold. So yeah, I was happy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, glad to catch up. Um, but let's let's get into the topic at hand. Um, Absolutely. Our, our boy, our boy, uh, Nietzsche, our the the man. Genuinely love this guy, though. The, I actually love him. I, I will his good. I hope he's in heaven. You he will his good. Heaven. He does. I don't know if he wills your good. Um, hey, well, if he's in, if he's with the blessed, or at some point will be with the blessed, then then he will will my good. When he was alive, though, would he have willed your good? Since your morality is a slave morality. That's a, that's a great question, and obviously the answer is no. But uh, all the same, we can we can still talk about him objectively and not. And not not get our feelings hurt by the fact that he probably wouldn't like us yeah, individually. That's fair. But yeah, so uh, so Nietzsche, an interesting guy, brilliant German philosopher, maybe one of the most profound uh, philosophers in all the history of Germany, probably the most profound, um, and an excellent writer. You you've gotten to read it. I've gotten to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, his prose is just so beautiful. What? Uh, so yeah, well, he he writes very differently than I think a lot of philosophers. He doesn't necessarily approach with like a um i guess you know like a a syllogistic way of reasoning out his conclusions um yeah he kind of i feel like he just like sometimes just says things (laughs) um and and doesn't necessarily always have coherence or continuity even with what he says um but he he kind of just speaks in turn uh as a lot of it is response to and i think he's really he's really strong in how he just responds to things a, a lot more aggressively than people were willing to respond to things. Now, right. a lot of it is also just straight criticism and sometimes I think unfair criticism. Actually, all, almost all of it I think is unfair. But um, Okay, he, that, that's a bold claim. We'll have, to, we'll have to talk about that at some point, but go on. Sorry. Um, well, yeah, okay. I might, you know, I might just be speaking out of turn myself. But uh, anyways, to, go, to stop talking about how he is and what he says, let's talk about, like, yeah, some some real things here. The actual so, content. Um, I, yeah. I accused you of being, uh, having slave morality. Um, yeah. What do I mean when I tell you you have slave morality? That's a brilliant question, Sam. And let me tell you right now, you also have a slave morality. I know. And I probably have it more than you do since I'm becoming a priest. Fair enough. Yeah. You, you, well, you are I ascribe a to the generator slave of slave morality. You are, you are a I perpetuate it. You perpetuate it. Yeah, you perpetuate the problem. And to all you listeners out there, you also probably participate in slave morality. Maybe. So Some of them might be heroism, mor- though. No, that, that's true. I'm, I'm just saying there's, there's a good chance for, for the average listener out there that they may just uh, have this, this mentality of, of slavery. So what Nietzsche means when he talks about slave morality is basically this morality that upholds weakness as virtue and strength as vice. And he, mm-hmm. he says that basically you can look at history and observe the passing of uh, two kinds of morality. So there's, there's the 
original natural system of morality, um, which is not uh, understanding morality in the way we think of the word morality. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything metaphysical or judging what is eternally good or bad. But really, the, the original natural state of morality is one in which what you call good is what is useful or basically what is effective, what is strong and powerful. And what you call bad is simply um, what is weak and ineffective and uh, useless, right? So by that standard, um, a lot of people that we would consider, you know, vicious maybe in some way uh, could be considered good in in that sense. Because if if you're a powerful, intelligent person, you're able to do what you want to do. And you're you're contributing. If you're a weak, helpless person, uh, then, then then you're bad. And so you can look at a lot of like, you know, he, he admires greatly the Greek and Roman heroes mm-hmm. of lore. You can also look at people like Napoleon, you know, these kind of dynamic, charismatic figures from history that accomplished whatever the heck they wanted to do and didn't really worry about the consequences or how it's going to affect other people. Those are in the natural understanding of morality as Nietzsche sees it. Those are good people. So, um, and it helps people were bad. But the slave morality, I'm sorry, sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, so to, to, to like clarify it, so then. So good, it kind of associated with power. Those who who use um, what they have to kind of clearly change or affect either society or culture, um, like in in a obvious way. And um, right. versus those who maybe maybe they're affecting culture, but it's not in a way that's actually useful to society. So right. um, like a saint, a, you know, someone who's holy, um, we would say, oh, that's that's contributing to society that's contributing to the world right. because their holiness is an example or um, their good life teaches other people how to live well but he would kind of say well that's actually useless because it hasn't really done anything for anyone um yeah and it, it hasn't really right. they haven't they haven't allowed people to live autonomously either um it's just making exactly. a bunch of carbon copies versus the powerful man is clearly different from everyone else because yeah. Uh, he has asserted himself, and you can only have so many powerful people, whereas you can have loads exactly. and loads and loads of weak people, and they all look the same. Yeah, no, that is a great point we just mentioned at the end there. I mean, everything you said was, was solid, but the thing you mentioned at the end there was important, that Nietzsche has this idea that there's only so many strong, truly powerful people in any given generation or time. Um, so because of that, yeah, again, by the natural, uh, healthy understanding of morality, as Nietzsche sees it, we look to the strong and intelligent and say, these men are good. And we look to the weak and say, these ones are bad. And it's not in a personal way. It's just an objective judgment based off their very uh, physical and intellectual capabilities. Right. But then with slave morality, what slave morality did is it turned everything natural on its head. Mm-hmm. It said, um, okay, we're going to look at the weak people, the people who um, you know, are mournful and are, are pitiable and aren't able to help themselves. And we're going to look at them and, and glorify them and say, you know, that's the way to be a good person. And, you know, you see that uh, embodied in Christianity, which is why Nietzsche hates Christianity and hates yeah, because the Christ bread. If, if you suffer, Christ, you know, the meek, basically the whole Beatitudes is like all essential the exactly. to the slave morality for Nietzsche. Right. Right. Yeah. Nietzsche, is, like Christ, you know, says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Nietzsche would look at that and say, OK, if you're poor in spirit, if you're meek. Um, then it's not because you're blessed or happy. It's because you're powerless and we don't need you. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, so but and, yeah, yeah, so, so that, that was the problem. With Christianity. So, he, so Christianity then flips it and it calls anything that is like powerful or those who assert themselves or those who are oppressive of other people that they are evil. And those actions by right. extension are also evil actions. And right. 
uh, one who is good is one who kind of suffers um, maybe these things or, um, yeah, is is weak and despised by the world and that it is through the, through experiencing those things that you actually, um, you know, through life in Christ that your kind of your dignity or your value is raised. Um, rather than, right, and, and, and it is raised by something outside. I think that's also something that he really hates about Christianity is that it, you have not done anything to create your own value or um, you, yeah. you're relying because of your weakness on something else outside of you to like raise right. your dignity up. Whereas the the good, according to his definition of good, powerful people, they have created their own dignity and their own value because of what they actually did of their own power rather than relying on exactly. someone's power to raise them up. Right. And just the acknowledgement of that higher power that's outside the, the natural realm is what troubles Nietzsche and what turns him away from Christianity. Because that, that's that's the other distinct mark of Christian morality, or as Nietzsche would call it, slave morality, is that uh, in many cases it relies on acknowledging some metaphysical reality. It, it mm-hmm. relies on acknowledging that there is this this God, this great judge, um, by whose standards we we judge whether a person is virtuous or not. And, you know, as you see in, um, uh, what, what was it, Sorry, the, the one of the books of Samuel, when Samuel's uh, watching uh, David's brothers appear before him, and he's trying to choose the king. Yeah, yeah first Samuel. Um, you know, he, he's, he's told, yeah, first Samuel. Um, he thinks it's going to be all these strong men, but really God chooses the littlest one, David. And the reason is because, according to the biblical narrative, God does not look to appearances. God looks to the heart, some some kind of metaphysical, deep, supernatural reality. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Nietzsche says, well, why are we bothering about that? Nietzsche says, we need to just focus on what's, what's immediately apparent. Okay, is this person strong or not? Um, are they intelligent or not? And so, and he, that's that's what why he hates Christianity, because with Christianity, you, you enforce the, you, the you narrative. Look past, you, you look past the obvious to try to find something else. You look past yeah. the obvious, exactly. So that you wind up with stories like Jesus told the story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. You know, Lazarus couldn't help himself. He was poor his whole life. He was miserable his whole life. But he goes and to heaven. Meanwhile, the rich man asserted his dominance and, and lived a very happy earthly life. But guess and what? He goes to hell. Hey, according to, to Jesus, yeah, the one goes to hell and the other goes to heaven. Hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, that, that, that's that's the deep shot. That's foolish because there is no heaven. There is no hell. So uh, well, yeah, really, that's... the man in that story ought to be the rich man. Yeah. So it well, yeah, that makes sense. If there's no heaven or hell, there's nothing beyond us that we're aiming towards, or that the purpose of our life is aimed towards. If I mean, if that if you're running on that, prep, uh, yeah, preposition or uh, principle, whatever. Premise. Um, yeah, premise. Thank you. Um, if you're running on that premise, then I would agree with him. I mean, if there's no heaven or hell, right. then the right. best thing you can do is to make yourself as comfortable and as powerful as possible. Because if this is the only life that you're going to live then the best life is the one where you have asserted yourself so that you're in charge. I mean, and you have power and you have wealth and everything. Um, right. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to deny heaven, then I, I guess I would agree with him. So, but, so how, how would, how do you feel to, or how do, would you respond to that? Or what do you think are some like maybe legitimate claims that he's making through that? Or what do you think it's illegitimate for him to say about this idea of it being a slave morality or calling these p- powerful, noble, um, heroic, as he would call them, people evil. Right. Well, there it's hard, right? Because he's actually, uh, I think, a very powerful rhetorician, and a lot of his points I find compelling. Um, and I think what you pointed out, which is right, is if you accept his premise that there is no metaphysical God and there is no heaven or eternity, then 
he is correct, I think, in, in his assessment. And the problem is, is he's writing, again, you, whenever you want to look at philosophers, uh, you, you want to consider the context in which they're writing. Right. He's yeah. writing in the context of this new post-Darwinian understanding of the world, right? Where mm. now we, we're beginning to look at world and reality in a materialistic lens. Survival so of the we're, fittest. We're starting to say, exactly, survival of the fittest. And so it really doesn't make sense to say that the Lazarus was holier than the rich man if you're starting to look at the world through the lens of survival of the fittest. And so in the context of that, it, it's, it's kind of hard to acknowledge or to, to argue against Nietzsche because one of his big claims, that if you'll quote him on, is saying God is dead, right? And he means that because society through science, uh, as he saw it, and just through uh, the new materialistic philosophy has basically abolished God yeah, and abolished exactly. eternity. And if you abolish God and you abolish eternity, then he's not wrong. So, yeah, um, yeah. I was reading recently so, to like catch up on Nietzsche. It was that it was making that claim that it's like when Nietzsche says God is dead, he's not making some atheistic claim here. He's kind of stating yeah. what has happened in the world that like God is dead in society. Uh, we have we yeah. have moved past uh, like kind of being right. dictated by a deity or by a metaphysical being that is beyond us and a morality that he has given us. So based on that principle, right. if God is dead, um, and he believes that, like, I mean, I think he says that that's a good thing. We finally progressed past this archaic understanding. Um, yeah. But he said, like, if God is dead, and, and that's kind of how society is living, then then this is, then we have to almost go back to how we acted before right. in, like, the Gre Greco-Roman right. era, um, because then we can finally restore what humanity is meant to be and like how how we are meant to be autonomously as individuals exactly yeah no that's totally right i i love what you brought up that um well he's doing this in some sense with a with an air of hope because he's hoping we can get back to a morality that's more natural and, and healthy for man mm -hmm. like you said in the, in the kind of pagan times but also I, I like that you brought up he's just a messenger right as he sees it he's not like arguing that god is dead he's just saying look i'm going to present to you what is already the case namely we've tried to abolish religion we've tried to abolish an idea of eternity and so in that in that way um i think you kind of see an analogy between him or a contrary analogy between him and john the baptist uh, where john the baptist was the herald for the christian era mm -hmm. you know he announced the coming of christ and the fact that we're suddenly going to start being more minded towards eternity. And now, and he was but announcing Nietzsche. Oh yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying, John the Baptist is announcing a reversal also there too. Right. right. A reversal right. of a morality sense there too. Right. And the Beatitudes exactly. themselves are a, a constant reversal. And in contrast, right. like you're saying, go ahead about Nietzsche being a herald. Well, I'm just saying, yeah, in contrast, Nietzsche is like the anti John the Baptist because now his job that he recognizes for himself is to announce to the whole world that we're going to enter a new anti-Christian era, and it's going to be an era in which there's going to be another return to the old morality that mm -hmm. Christianity so long uh, destroyed. But well, yeah. So I mean, so then yeah. moving kind of a little bit with okay that logic well. He might call it logic. He might just call it like him looking at the world and kind of making his, you know, assessment of it and then kind of adding his own criticisms um, to it. Mm -hmm. But then if there is, you know, no, this 
if God is dead, right, and we're not pursuing a heavenly or hellish destiny in any sense, nothing eternal, uh, right. and then the the slave morality idea of what is evil, avoid that, what is good, to do that, the weak, anything like that, um, it really changes the idea of what is valuable and what what actions, yes. what ways of life, everything have value, what has value, um, to the point where he actually says that nature— of itself is value less that there is nothing naturally valuable in the world and that the only thing that's that have value are ones that we create to have value um and if we come to see that they no longer are useful maybe or they no longer are actually helping us then we no longer see them as valuable and i mean mm-hmm. he's he can be a little confusing and i've even read some like people who were they they agree with nature on a lot of things but they're actually still critiquing him that his language on this idea of values can be very convoluted because sometimes he seems to act like it's a subjective thing that each person creates things that are their own value. But at the same time, he's asserting that his ideas on this, that this is how it is, is how we should all believe, which is kind of its own value. Um, Yeah. So it's a little relativistic in that sense. Um, Right. But what, what, what does that imply? If, if there are no, thing if there's nothing naturally valuable and we have to create value ourselves what what does that imply about human anthropology and just about you know kind of the progress of the human person yeah that's a great question i i think it's partly because it seems like in some way he's kind of destroying our idea of the value of life but in some way He's not destroying it. He's just dramatically changing it and changing mm-hmm. its basis. Mm-hmm. So I thought what it says about human anthropology and how we're supposed to understand um, humanity itself is that uh, contrary to Christianity, by Nietzsche's philosophy, you know, philosophy, you no longer view human beings as having intrinsic dignity and worth. Mm. Their wow. worth and their value doesn't come from something deep within it comes from their actions and concretely the steps they take to assert their dominance over their environment mm-hmm. um and and so by that standard yeah he's not i don't think denying value or meaning in life he's just saying the standard by which we judge it has changed it's sort of like uh like i don't know a philosophical uh equivalent to i guess what copernicus or a later astronomer would have done to the former ways of viewing the universe. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. by, by mm-hmm. the old astronomer Ptolemy, we imagine the sun. Uh, sorry, the Earth was at the center of the universe, or the center of the. Yeah, actually, he saw it as the center of the whole universe, and that everything revolved around it. Yeah. Um, and then later, astronomers discovered no, actually, the sun is at the center of our solar system. So there's not the, they're not denying that there is a center to the solar system. They're just completely flipping astronomy on its head center? about what, what is the center. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's just a little bit like that. He's not saying life is meaningless. He's just saying, okay, if you're someone who creates value by being powerful and exercising dominance, um, then you do have meaning. But guess what? If you're not someone who's powerful, if you're not someone who's strong and able to do powerful, intelligent things, then, you're then not creating you don't something have valuable. intrinsic meaning. Exactly. So the meaning or the, the way in which the center has shifted uh, kind of again to compare to the astronaut, the astronomy example, is whereas before by Christianity the standard for judging value was uh, 
God mm-hmm. and a precept, by, a precept by God. Um, now the standard is in man and in the actions that a man can do. Um, and that's why if you are great in man, human terms, then you have value. And if you're not great in human terms, then you don't have value. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And then if something doesn't contribute to either growth or to productivity um, or like progress, then it's not going, then he's not going to see it as valuable. And then for the people who are weak, they really just can't do those things. And a particular, a particular thing, especially in Christianity that he critiques as being held as very valuable, but he actually sees as kind of negative is uh, compassion. It says that mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a value, uh, it's seen as, you know, oh, we have compassion on those people who are suffering, and we try to relieve their suffering in ways by being compassionate and being with them. And he really doesn't like yeah. valuing compassion and seeing it as like a necessary thing that we do for those who are suffering, because he said that suffering is actually really, really important for us, that we, we, need, to, mm-hmm. we need to accept suffering and we need to like walk with it because it's usually a way in which we grow. Um, and yeah. if we, if, if other people alleviate our suffering, they're depriving us of the ability to overpower our own suffering. Um, and if, mm-hmm. if we can get out of it ourselves, that's showing that we can grow like into that, you know, more powerful person where self, yeah. uh, we have great, gained our own dignity, um, self autonomy, yeah. right. Is it's me. Whereas compassion either suppresses the importance of suffering or it takes away the power I could have by getting rid of it myself. Um, and I know you, you were mentioning earlier when we were talking about this a little bit that he also connects suffering to a concept of guilt, right? Um, Yeah. 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 Could you explain that again for me? Totally. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. Nietzsche takes it kind of as a basic premise that humans by nature enjoy inflicting suffering on others mm-hmm. and okay. we don't necessarily yeah. do it for any clear purpose other than for its own sake so he, he just takes it as a given that i enjoy making other people suffer and you enjoy making people, other people suffer that's just because that's part of human desires okay and um, that, that's why he actually accounts for punishment in like the tradition of punishment that's pretty much universal in all cultures for crimes you know he's, yeah, he yeah. says you know punishment of crimes isn't necessarily for some deeper purpose it's it's partly just because, um, you know, a king will punish somebody for breaking the law because he the king to wants them. an excuse to, to make somebody suffer. Wow. Um, and so with that in mind, uh, again, going back to his idea that the world is kind of split into the two sorts of people, those who are strong and can do what they want and those who are weak and can't accomplish what they want. Mm-hmm. Taking that in mind and together with the, the principle that we enjoy making other people suffer, um, some people can effectively make others suffer and they can make the other members of their environment suffer. So like a yeah. strong man, someone like Napoleon, someone like Hitler, mm-hmm. they can clearly make other people suffer. But a, a weak man, as, as Nietzsche would see it, someone who, who isn't necessarily so politically powerful or physically powerful, they can't make other people suffer. They can't make their environment suffer. So instead, they turn their desire to making somebody suffer in on themselves mm-hmm. and they make themselves suffer. And that's what guilt is. Um, mm-hmm. That's what, you know, the, the, the pain of a guilty conscience, I think, just sees it. It's just me trying to make somebody have pain, and I can't make you have pain. I can't make the, my next-door neighbor have pain, so I'm going to inflict the pain on myself um, and, and heap guilt on myself and basically try to suppress myself. And, and that's what he 
that's part of what he calls the ascetic ideal. So, you know, the, the yeah, sort yeah. of asceticism mm -hmm. that obviously as a monk, you, you practice, you know, fasting yes. and self-notification. Um, well, yeah, you, you know what that's like, but it, it sort of can feel like, and this even relates to the common experience and experience during Lent sometimes as a Catholic, you, you know, the experience of it feels like you're at war with yourself mm -hmm. and you're trying to, to fight your own passions. St. Paul talks about that. He says, I, I see another law in my members. You know, he sees a different law in his own body that he's always fighting against. Nietzsche looks at that and that feeling of guilt and that feeling of self-oppression as making somebody else suffer who just happens to be you. Huh. So, and and that suffering that you're causing yourself is then also a form of repression. That guilt that right. you feel is almost like, well, these na these things that I sh like he would say you should give into. Um, right. Rather, like, oh, well, I feel bad about that for myself, so I'm going to cause myself to suffer. Um, yeah. And so I guess connecting that that with then him also seeing value in suffering um, is a little confusing to me then. Um, but I guess if it's that you get past that guilt, I think is actually what he is, why he thinks it's it's good. Um, if you have a little mm -hmm. suffering, if it goads you to like move past the guilt, um, if right. you kind of recognize. And that's why he says compassion. I think compassion is almost, for him saying, it's almost like, uh, like acknowledging that like the, the guilt is okay and I'm going to like sit with you or like, okay, yeah, the guilt, like, yeah, sure. That makes sense. And I'm going to sit with you in it. Um, which I think is why yeah. he doesn't like compassion because it almost like justifies that you have guilt, um, rather right. than trying to get the person out of feeling guilty. Um, yeah. which on, in some ways it's, it's hard for me to say, I hate that. Um, because yeah. like, I do agree that suffering is, useful and something suffering is something that we ought to accept because it does help us grow now how it helps us to grow and why i would then fundamentally <laughs> disagree with him because suffering right. helps us to become more like jesus who accepted yeah. suffering on the cross on behalf of all humanity in order to restore us to the father and when we suffer yeah. it's uniting ourselves to christ's suffering for the same purpose of restoring ourselves and the rest of the body of christ closer in union with the father whereas for him exactly. suffering is either yeah an indicator that you have still this guilt that you need to overcome um or yeah. it's like a recognition that you haven't your value system is still off and then by using mm -hmm. that suffering as like a uh, springboard then you relieve yourself of it you free yourself of it and then you, you have more power um right. for a christian to desire to free themselves from suffering is innately bad because it is god who asks us to do it he, he gives it to us as a way for us to grow in holiness. But that, again, like I said, holiness isn't really useful for Nietzsche. So um, yeah. it's suffering in that regard, it doesn't make some sense. And asceticism also is really then not good, right? Disciplining my right. bodies, my passions, the things that it should naturally do. It should naturally dominate. It should mm -hmm. naturally oppress. It should naturally become powerful. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. Exactly, because what are the passions that you're suppressing when you engage in asceticism? Well, one major one is often people will suppress their pride, right? Mm. Try to humble their pride. Um, Nietzsche would look at that and say, well, that's stupid. If you have something to be proud of, then let yourself be proud of it. Yeah. Let yourself uh, you know, be assertive. Or another thing we try to suppress by means of asceticism and mortification is greed. You know, you, you want to have a lot of things, um, and so or we, just, we have this natural... Um, tendency according to our fallen human nature um, towards you know doing 
what is wrong and, and wanting too much, you know, greed or gluttony. And so we engage in mortification so that we can kind of uh, detach ourselves from those things. But then need to look at it and say, well, that's stupid. Because if you want something, then go out and get like get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're if you're really a powerful person and you then want you a good life, a useful, effective life, then just go get it. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, if hmm. he really despises this heaped up guilt and this weight of conscience that mm, our okay. asceticism has kind of ingrained in us and, and that our Christianity has ingrained in us. But and it's interesting because you you see when you read Nietzsche how a lot of our modern culture has come to be. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. He really, even though, you know, your average person uh, doesn't read Nietzsche, um, you see kind of his footprint in modern culture. Oh, absolutely. It, that, that's the way, obviously, with a, a lot of philosophers. Like, most people don't actually read the the old philosophers, but you see the, the effects they have on the, on the world, and especially Nietzsche, because with modern world, we do see the idea, for one thing, that, People don't uh, respect everyone as having intrinsic dignity, right? Mm, we we do mm-hmm. have a, a merit-based understanding of people's worth. Um, and also when it comes to uh, particularly, yeah, asceticism and, and morality, we do have the idea that uh, if you want something, just go out and get it. Or if you want to assert yourself over your environment, no matter who that may hurt or no matter uh, what kind of truths you're going to have to deny to do that, well, mm-hmm. just go ahead and do it. Assert yourself over your, over your environment. And don't worry about repressing your your sinful tendencies. Just just uh, let those be and let those run rampant. Mm, yeah. I mean, do you, do you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about? Like, do you, do you see that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I see I see both. Honestly, like there's that, and then kind of like the resurgence of stoicism too, in kind of a the alpha male uh, Andrew Tate kind of mentality. Um, yeah. But even that actually, like whether he would admit it or not, also has levels of Nietzsche in it, right? Because he's like, well, if you're the man. Um, you should like, you have dominance over the situation. Like it's your right. It is your power. Like it is that just go get it. Yeah. You have it. You deserve it. Yeah. Um, like whether right. he, he knows, I, it I would not. say Andrew Tate, yeah, is a watered down uh, kind of modern form of Nietzsche. Yeah. Even more so much more than one of the Stoics, like Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Which, and you know, uh, I think he likes, he likes to think that like, well, you know, I, you were like, uh, we do not have emotions. You know, I do these things and I, I don't have to feel, I don't worry. I like they're, they're controlled. It's like, well, bro, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Maybe emotionally you act like you're stoic, but the rest of your life you dictate it as if you follow Nietzsche. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I definitely see that, especially especially the value based system in regards to human dignity. Uh, that yeah. you what you contribute to society uh, is then right. the basis for who you know, your importance or your value. And two instant examples I have of that um, is is one. Like a college or a senior in high school who's going to college and they pick a major, uh, let's say English or theology yeah. um, or history, and people immediately say, oh, well, what are you going to do with that? Or you're not going to really yeah. get a job with that. Or how, how, how are you going to make money that way? And the only, mm-hmm. the only lens they're looking at is how this person could become, quote unquote, more powerful or rich right. um, or how they yeah. can ha- – their value is only based – on you know some kind of autonomous framework where this person has right you know you know their own whatever you know, they created their own sphere and their own world mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. looking at the intrinsic value of studying history or studying god or studying how to write properly um and how those yeah. actually can help society it's kind of this yeah it's a very um narrow view 
of of what is valuable right. and how any of the, those things that person could be doing could actually contribute to society. Um, and then the second, which is super pervasive, um, is how we treat the unborn. Uh, yeah. That really the premise for abortion more these days. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some people who talk about, you know, the, the woman's right to choose or it's the woman's body. Um, but so, honestly, a lot of those I feel like are getting more and more overturned and people can't mm-hmm. contradict that. And yeah. then the science of, well, we don't know when life begins or it's not viable, right. blah, 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 to this time. We can't like science has shown it like the it's it's un, like you can't unrefutable the the that right. life begins at conception. So it's a lot of these arguments are falling away from. So now I think it's just that that word viability. Well, the child is not viable, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um and or you know, or this child is going to have Down syndrome. So what can they actually contribute yeah. to society? Right. Um, all of these things, like, like the usefulness of the unborn child. Like what 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 are they contributing right now? You know, or look how much strain they're going to put on the mother for years because they can't take care of themselves. She needs to be able to take care of herself and do what she wants to do. Right. Um, or right. the father shouldn't have any culpability for what happened, um, and he he shouldn't be affected by this pregnancy. And he should be able to do what he wants to do. Um, and since they have their own lives, they're already in the world. And this this little baby in the womb, this unborn baby, they you know what everything's going to be about them for years. It's better to just you yeah. know let's just get rid of them because they don't have any use right, right. now. Yeah. No, absolutely. Abortion is founded on the principle that not every human person has intrinsic value. Um, and and you know that reality has been in place even since abortion had its first um, beginnings as, as far as like being coming a popular accepted thing in society. You know, you go back to Margaret Sanger, the, the founder of Planned Parenthood. She was in favor of eugenics, right? She was yeah. in favor of the yep. idea that some humans are just more useful and therefore more valuable. And hence we should try to keep those humans alive. But the and humans that we see as weed out inferior, we, we should, uh, exactly. We, we should try to exterminate them. And I mean, in her case, she was actually a racist about it. She supported extermination of, people of color yeah but yep. um but just uh, yeah uh, I, I can't believe that uh that people look so positively on planned parenthood as like a a point of hope for you know oppressed um races and minority groups because in fact you know the founder of it uh, she was a raging racist was an, an absolute racist yeah but that, that's a chance anyway the, the point yeah. being <laughs> ab- abortion um bases itself on the principle that not all humans are created equal that we all have intrinsic dignity because it, it basically says every time you kill an innocent life in the womb what it's saying is um a, the life that is outside the womb the life that has uh you know done things and, mm-hmm. and um, created value by its actions matters more than the life uh that is just in the womb and hasn't done anything yet or maybe maybe just more simply the life in the womb doesn't matter because it hasn't accomplished anything great yet yeah. or because it's not fully in- intellectual mm-hmm. or hasn't fully reached its potential as a human being. Um, and, and that's, for one thing, it's absurd um, because they're ordered towards becoming a fully yeah, exactly. uh, realized human being. And so it's, it's stupid. It'd be like calling a seed worthless just because it's not a tree yet. Um, but, but it's just, it's, it's really ridiculous. And, and, Related, it is related to, to Nietzsche's philosophy, and you, you see that because we 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 look to you know the Nazis who many people 
think in some way Nazism was inspired by Nietzsche's philosophy. And we look to them as a really brutal example of when some human beings think that their intrinsic value is greater than those of other mm, people, mm-hmm. than that of other human beings, and that they allow themselves to, to live out the full implications of that assumption. But we, we often neglect to realize that the same thing is happening with abortion. Yeah. And it is, it is basically just the stronger asserting their dominance over the weaker without any reference to moral, morality. It's, it's kind um, of deciding who is the fittest before the other ones have mm-hmm. even given the option to try to survive. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then uh, just, you know, in the last few minutes, um, how, how do we counter or can we um, some of these like subconscious Nietzschean ideas in the culture, particularly his idea of like creating your own value? Um, mm-hmm. because I was actually, I'm in a psychology for spiritual directing class uh, right now. And my one professor was talking about different approaches to, uh, psychological treatment. And he mm-hmm. says one of them is, uh, called the, the existential, uh, approach. And that is basically to just lead the person to a point where they have meaning because they have created yeah. the meaning that they have that. Mm-hmm. Meaning is only when they they have created their own meaning. Instead of that, God has created meaning and purpose for their life, um, and that they, to discover that and then live in the joy of knowing that they were created with meaning. It's rather they create the meaning, and when they have it, then yeah. then they can be happy, and then their mind can be at rest, and then right. they won't have all this anxiety and depression, whatever. Um, and it, that's like literally a psychological approach. So that's how some psychologists are helping people like recover from mental illness. Supposedly or, helping them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, they're, they're, the idea is that they're helping them. Um, it, it's basically to they preach Nietzsche to them in ways. Um, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Create your own value. Like you are the author of your life. You're the author of you know everything yeah. that is good for you. Yeah. Um, and that like and that again that's dangerous. Sorry. Right. No, absolutely. And and that again, I don't I don't mean to keep harping on the issue of abortion, but that I think ideas also again expressed in the cause for why many people get abortions nowadays but like you said there's no longer really the excuse of a lack of scientific research people know nowadays that a fetus is a human being there, there's no more doubts for that but you see that people continue to get abortions at the same rate as if we didn't know that fetuses were human beings and the reason now is not an excuse of uh ambiguity in the science the reason now is people just objectively saying well yeah it is a human person but I don't care because I have my life and the goals and value that I'm trying to create. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- yeah. it, it's not very convenient for those goals for this human being to exist. And then they look at the human being itself and they try to, to weigh its value. And they say, well, look, it hasn't done anything yet. It's not even you know fully um, conscious yet. So it, it doesn't have value. So again, it's, it's you, you see that uh, even while now pretty much universally people grant that, that embryos and fetuses are human beings, they still are in favor of abortion because the, the real issue at hand was never that they denied it was a human being. The issue was that they just denied that some that all human beings have value. Hmm. And yeah, that, that's really shocking to me though that even now that's used as a, a psychological, or it's, it's not shocking to me, it's troubling to me yeah. that that's used as a psychological um, quote unquote form of therapy. Well, and oh, but, it, it also yeah. it also followed upon um, some statistics I was hearing recently about suicide. Um, that it's you know uh, one of the top reasons 
for why people commit suicide um, is because they just really have, n- they find no purpose in their life. They have, they have no meaning. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. m- you know, mental illness is, you know, right up there is uh, high, if not even like number one reason, but usually connected with that is this, I have no purpose in my life. I have no meaning. And if you're told you have to create it and they, people try and they try and they try and they just seem ca- can't create their own meaning, then it's like, well, I obviously am worthless. Like I, it's, it's no point. Mm-hmm. I should just end it. And that's, yeah. I think that's the place I think that we can as like regular everyday people respond to kind of a, a poor, mm-hmm. or I mean, just, you know, the adaptation of Nietzsche in our everyday life is yeah. to restore to culture the innate dignity yeah, of every person and yeah. how that they were created with a value and a purpose before they did anything. Mm-hmm. That that the God the Father created them with a purpose already. Um, and, mm-hmm. and how we show them that purpose, that might be the hard part, or how we convince people that it is <laughs> through Christ or um, through following yeah. um, the Christian religion that they will find that purpose. That That's going to be the hard mm-hmm. part. But I think if we just simply right. know the framework, like that's that's what we need to start doing is really restoring Absolutely. to the world again that basic understanding that you do have a purpose. And it sounds cliche, I yeah. guess, because we're always right. like, oh, you have a purpose. Like there's something meaningful yeah. for you. But, well, when the world continues to tell itself, like create your own meaning and then proves itself wrong, um, a cliche might actually be the way to respond. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just – what are your, th- your thoughts well, on that no, in the last minute yeah, or two? So right. the, the phrase is cliche, but the message is not. It, right. I mean, yeah. if, uh, like, you can just look, it, because we know people are still committing suicides, like, as long as people are still committing suicide throughout the world, we know that the message of the intrinsic value of life uh, cannot be shared enough, cannot be emphasized mm. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we need, we need to find new ways of sharing that in a way that doesn't feel cliche. But I know you're right. Like the, the idea of, um, oh yeah, God has a purpose for your life, or God loves you. You know, God created you with, with uh, for the sake of your good. Those are great messages, of course, and they're universally true. And um, we can't even grasp them as deeply as, as He wants us to grasp them. But still, they can feel cliche at times. And you know, you go to any motivational talk by a Christian or Catholic speaker, you're going to hear something to the effect of "God loves you." Yeah, and it can yeah. feel trite. But we need to find new ways of sharing that same message. Maybe just new even just new kind of ways of uh, expressing the same truth, like just new words mm-hmm. um, that, that still get at the heart of the same message because there are so many people that are brokenhearted right now in the world. Um, and there are so many people that are hopeless. And you're absolutely right in saying there are a lot of people who feel absolutely meaningless in their life. Yeah. And some of that is because our society fosters meaningless meaninglessness. Um, our society and our culture and even, honestly, frankly, many aspects of capitalism do push people to yeah, the idea yeah, that exactly. you do not have value unless you create value, or you generate money, or you become rich and powerful. And so people who don't feel rich and powerful are just left to themselves, and they're left to the feeling that they're meaningless. But um, if we can really work towards correcting that, uh, that'd be huge. And that, I mean, that's part of just the universal unending mission of the church. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, I think part of it is recognizing the value in suffering because mm, mm. that, that's the thing. I think like when you're doing well, it's easy to accept that life has a purpose and a meaning because you feel like everything's going smoothly. But if you're suffering, that's when life can often feel the most meaningless and pointless, especially when there's no clear reason why you're suffering. You know, yeah, you yeah. Are, or a loved one 
if like a loved one passes away or a friend passes away or you get diagnosed with cancer or some, you know, you where you're something as simple as you're getting consistently bullied or you're just for no reason feeling lost in, in a cycle of helplessness, helpless. I can't, I can't speak right now. Helplessness. Is that right? The word? Yes. Yeah. You said um, it right. Yeah. Um, any of those, those causes can just feel like meaningless suffering. Um, but the, our recourse has to be to the cross, right? Our recourse has to be to remembering that Christ underwent the full effects of suffering. He, he, he knew what it was like to be alone. He knew what it was like to be abandoned mm-hmm. and experience so much physical pain, especially, uh, and psychological pain. And so we need to remember that if, if the God-man underwent that pain, then not only does that mean it's okay for us to share the same pain, but it actually means it's a, it can be a holy thing for us to share the yeah, same pain. Like, yeah. Yeah, by, Christ... by suffering, Jesus consecrated suffering. Yeah, Christ didn't come into the world to take away suffering, but he did come to put meaning into it. That That's a great line. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, and that's what we need to share because for those people that do feel like life is meaningless, um, they, they need to be reminded that suffering itself can be a touch point between them and God that can help them be united with God and with divinity. And then that gives a sort of purpose even amidst the worst parts of life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well... Thanks, Nate. I appreciate that. And, you know, for all the listeners, um, like let, let that be a little mission or incentive. And if you feel like it's it's maybe difficult to show people the value of suffering or it, you struggle even to see it yourself um, or you don't know how to use other words, then God has a purpose for your life. Like that is mm-hmm. that's a reason for you to study theology, to study philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, as, yeah. as Nate said, um, you know, a lot of people haven't read Nietzsche, but they ascribed to him subconsciously whether they know it or not mm-hmm. um and it's because right. like philosophy has affected them so <laughs> a f- let right. let a f- learn some philosophy and when when people say like oh what's the value of studying philosophy what are you going to do with it be like um i'm going to change the way oh, people know. think um, Wisdom, yeah. yeah the, the right. entire movement of culture is moved by how people have been affected by philosophical mm-hmm. thinkers so your um, actions follow from your thoughts. So if you develop exactly. strong thoughts, you're going to yep. develop strong actions and, and good virtuous ones. So so go yeah. so go tackle a little bit. And whether that means read a little Nietzsche so you, you know what uh, field battle battlefield you're walking into, that's good. Um mm-hmm. read, you know, some of the the philosophical mystics on what suffering is and how we come right. to understand its value. Um or mm-hmm. the there's even a whole term for you know, the study of suffering and pain in the world is called theodicy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, do, do a little of that, you know, take some right. time. Um, Absolutely. We're approaching Lent pretty soon. Why maybe that yeah. be, you know, That's a good Lent resolution. F- in, fast from some screen time and, and read some philosophy, um, read some That's theology. A great, That's a great so. call. Especially some mystic uh, philosophy. Dude. That's, <laughs> Gary Gould Lagrange, read some Gary Gould Lagrange. Mm. She's yeah, brilliant. he's um, a goat. Oh, one qualification, though, about the studying and, and philosophy, though, you're absolutely right what you're saying, Sam. Uh, one qualification, though, is that we need to remember when we're, when we're dealing with particular people who are feeling meaningless or depressed, we can't immediately oh, yeah, turn yeah. to right. r- reason, reasonable arguments or just like rational arguments or thoughts. Sometimes all those people need is for a friend to comfort them and, and give them some consolation on a 
emotional level or psychological level and not an intellectual level. Yeah. That's the, the one yeah. problem that I see, even to myself, I've done this, is that it can sometimes be easy to be dismissive of people's feelings or their particular experience of suffering because, you know, I, I can rattle off some um, quote by Aquinas and how suffering is meaningful and how, you know, God uh, brings all uh, evil or he, he brings good out of evil. Like I can rattle that off as a proposition, but that doesn't actually <laughs> yeah. uh, heal the wound of someone who's really suffering. Mm-hmm. Really, it doesn't address the issue. It just kind of tries to throw a Band-Aid on it. Yeah. If we really want to help people um, meet Christ and, and meet him amidst their sufferings and amidst their feelings of helplessness and, and meaninglessness um, and really just really discover the purpose of life, then we need to do it on a very intimate level as friends. Yeah, one, once they experience that they are, that someone wants to be in their presence, that they are, someone wants to be present to them, and they can be right. secure with someone else. That's when you can start bringing some of the meaning and some of you know, right. the philosophy and theology. But until they feel secure in the presence of someone else, all of those words are just going to be meaningless and probably right. actually make it worse. Um, right. So. Yeah. If they don't feel like they're loved by any humans, how are they going to feel? Or how are they going to believe that they're loved by God? Yeah, right? but if exactly. they feel that they're loved by a, a person right in front of them, then they can begin to embark on the path towards acknowledging that they're also loved infinitely by God. Right. And that's when, you know, life stops seeming, seeming meaningless and starts to, to look a lot more happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Nate. Appreciate uh, you taking the time to call. And uh, yeah, totally, bro. I'm super pumped. We're able to finally do some video uh long distance i should say episodes uh i know yeah oh, this is pretty gnarly bro i'm hyped uh yeah dude this is a lot a lot uh i don't know a lot a lot easier than yeah exactly. than having to well yeah force anyway. everything when you're here yeah well thank you exactly. all for uh listening to another episode of all good in the brotherhood uh we hope that you enjoyed today's episode if you did and you learned something uh please share um both what you learned and this uh, episode with whomever and if you have questions or you're like, oh, you know, this Nietzsche stuff still doesn't make any sense, um, you know, leave a comment below on Spotify or on uh, send us an email or whatever it is. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and we'd also love to know what more would you guys like to talk about? Uh, would you like to hear us talk about? What discussion topics, yeah. questions about philosophy, theology, spirituality, whatever it is. Or even just questions about Nate and I, if what, me being a monk, Nate, what he's done at TAC, what he's going to do in his future, any of that kind of stuff. Um, we'd love to share all of that uh, with you. Please don't ask me what I'm going to do in my future. I don't <laughs> okay. know. But sorry, go on. That's fair. That's, 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 that's fair. Um, ask Sam about being a monk. Don't ask me about my life. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Touche. We'll figure that out. Okay. Um, but yeah. So yeah. Anyways, uh, all that being said, we appreciate you hanging on for another episode. And, uh, yeah, we hope you have a fantastic and God-blessed day. Have a bodacious day, actually. And remember that your life is not meaningless. It has a purpose. Amen. Well, hope you all, uh, yeah, feel that love from the Lord. Um, Have a great day. God bless. All right, peace.